Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to John's Gospel, chapter 20. We'll look at verses 19 through 23 this morning. The text is also printed on the next page of the bulletin. Compared to the rest of the material that's contained in the Gospels, all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the accounts of the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples are precious few. Just a couple short chapters out of all those chapters. So, <clears throat> so we're giving careful attention to each one uh, here, each, each of these resurrection accounts of Christ uh, at the end of John's Gospel. So the same Jesus, we're talking about the same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem and who grew up in Nazareth, uh, the same Jesus who traveled Judea on foot, preaching and healing wherever he went, who chose and gathered his disciples together around him. The same Jesus who challenged the deep religious preconceptions of pretty much everybody, but especially the, the religious leaders. Um, the same Jesus who went to the cross and who died for love's sake. This same Jesus rose bodily from the dead. This same Jesus lives right now and will live forever. And so when we see him here in these resurrection accounts, the very same relationship that he has with the disciples, the same way that he's interacting with them back then, even though that's 2,000 years ago, um, the very same relationship he has with the disciples he has with us in the church today because he's the same. He's the same person toward you that he was toward his disciples back then, and we stand in their shoes even though we're so far removed in time and place. Since we don't see him, they saw him, they were in the same room with him, but we don't see him. Uh, this is a matter for our faith. This is what we're receiving from the scriptures, the holy word of God. Uh, no, no more important um, word ever written, uh, but it's the word of God for us, just as it was for them. When Jesus came and appeared to them and spoke to them, we can hear his voice in the scriptures now. So let's hear what the risen Lord Jesus has to say to us today. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that you would help us, each and every one of us, youngest to oldest, greatest to least, to be able to hear you as you speak to us in your word. We pray that Christ's um, message of good news to us, who he is and what he's done for us, would be clear to each of us, and we know that that will take a work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so we ask for that, that work. We ask for your Spirit's work now as we consider your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So just to remind ourselves where we are in John's gospel, uh, we're getting close to the end. Just a few sermons left. Then we'll figure out something else to do. Um, but it's Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. Feasts are taking place. The city is full of pilgrims. The enemies of Jesus have managed to have him killed, crucified, just a few days before. His disciples 
his followers and his friends who just a week before were flying high, they were riding his coattails into the city, a triumphal entry. Um, now they were utterly deflated. They're scattered at his arrest. They were crushed by his unjust conviction, and they were bereft in his death. They were stunned and confused by reports now that, um, that his body was missing. And who knows what they were thinking when they heard Mary going on about having seen the Lord alive again that morning. But clearly, they're still pretty low, right? This is not a great spot for them to be. All Jerusalem is out partying. They haven't believed the reports of the resurrection, or they haven't understood all the ramifications of that yet. Um, So all Jerusalem is out partying. They're huddled together. They're terrified that what happened to Jesus might also happen to them. They're afraid of that. What happened to Jesus? It might also happen to us. If the opposition could get to Jesus, and in everybody's mind, I mean, he's the great leader before his death. Everybody scratching their heads like, why is this happening? He's so great. He's so powerful. He really can do whatever he wants, can't he? So if, but if the opposition could get to Jesus, then how could they possibly be safe in the city after their great leader's been taken out? So it says in verse 19, On the evening of that day, first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So let me uh, just call your attention actually to the first few words here again on that. Um, It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, obviously still talking about what's uh, been talked about here in the beginning of the chapter, uh, chapter 20. <clears throat> uh, it's the day of the resurrection, and they're, uh, they're meeting Jesus alive from the dead again. They're pretty basic common words on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. You easily overlook them. They're just describing the setting of this encounter. But they're also, biblically speaking, pretty common words, pretty, pretty um, uh, high-frequency words, two ancient scriptural formulae, really, um, being united here at the most profound moment, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That day, that day, throughout the Old Testament, is almost uh, technical language for the day of the Lord. The Lord's day. The great and terrible day when the Lord would stand among his people for salvation and for judgment. The end of the world kind of stuff. Always in the Old Testament, it was always future. This has this eschatological, sort of end times, the end of the world uh, significance that day and then the first day of the week the first day of the week calls to memory Genesis 1 the creation account the beginning of the heavens and the earth as God spoke all things into existence by the power of his word for his own purposes God's creation beginning and end so John is noticing uh, subtly almost in passing but deliberately because he's already said it's the first day of the week. We already know that. Uh, so he's sort of repeating himself. We already knew it was the first day of the week. He's calling attention to the fact that the day of the Lord's resurrection, the Lord's day, it gets called again in the New Testament, um, it wasn't the terrible end of all things. It was an end, but even more so, it was a new beginning. It was a new beginning, a new creation. It was the inauguration of the new heavens and the new earth. Because Jesus himself was made new on our behalf. The heart of it is that the risen Lord Jesus, 
On that day, the risen Lord Jesus comes and stands among his people. The day of the Lord, when he stands among his people, nothing could keep him from standing with them. Not even his own death. Certainly not the locked doors that they were hiding behind. Um, His appearance in the locked room uh, is interesting, but it isn't just some little tidbit. We can say, ooh, that's a cool trick. I wonder how he did that. I wonder if I'll be able to do that in the resurrection. With a resurrection body, what's possible? What kind of things? Physics of it. Um, It's more than just some curiosity. The risen Lord Jesus goes wherever he wants to go, and he doesn't have to knock. He comes to be with his people. That's where he wants to go. And nothing can keep him from that. He comes to be with his people of his own accord, of his own volition, whether or not you've made yourself accessible to him. He will come to you. He comes when we're deflated. He comes when we're crushed. He comes when we're stunned. He comes when we're confused. He comes when we're afraid. Your state of mind does not deter him from coming to stand with you. He doesn't wait for you to pull yourself together before he comes to you. Jesus stands with his people because that's just who he is. And he can do it. It's like a hero who's come from a distant land on the most treacherous journey, braving, braving all sorts of obstacles to his goal, braving death itself, emerging victorious, overcoming all impossibilities, all impossibilities. He's overcome them all to find the bride that he sought and to win her for himself, to take her to himself, to be with her. Jesus came and stood with his people in that locked room after his death. And that same Jesus stands with his people still, not physically in this room, but spiritually. He's in heaven standing there on our behalf. We're united to him through his Holy Spirit. Wherever his word is proclaimed, his people can hear his voice saying, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And as we'll see, this is not just your standard greeting. This is a common greeting throughout the history of Israel for good reason. It's all leading up to this. This is the greeting of all greetings. As we'll see, it's it, the peace that he gives to his people is not just your standard peace. It's probably not what we'd first expect. The peace the disciples were looking for probably was something like safety from persecution. That would be peace. That would take the stress away, the anxiety, the fear, the dread. That would be gone. I'd have peace if I knew that these guys didn't want to kill us like they killed Jesus. The peace Jesus gives, it doesn't take away those kinds of circumstances. The peace that Jesus gives would eventually enable his disciples to face the worst circumstances to face their persecution and their death. So when Jesus talks about peace, above all, first and foremost, he's not just talking about a nice feeling that you have inside where everything's calm. He's talking about relational peace with God. He's being, being at peace with God, being right with God, being reconciled to God, having a relationship with God that uh, is good. That's, that's the peace Jesus is talking about. And when we have that peace, then we're able to go out and face all kinds of things that would normally cause us great stress and anxiety and anger and fear. 
but we'll get back to that in a minute. So when he had said this, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side, the marks of his crucifixion. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So then, after that, they were glad. At first, his appearance didn't immediately reassure them of anything. Uh, in a parallel um, uh, passage to this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, it says, As they were talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. I almost imagine it like, boo, <laughs> you know, peace. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So the disciples were still confused, even when Jesus first shows up and begins to speak with them. Still confused, still paralyzed with fear, until, until the reality of Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, alive again from the dead, started to settle in. The reality of it started to settle in until they lived with that reality a little longer and it made its impression upon them that reality that reality the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hinge that all of our hopes and fears turn on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the the hinge of all of our reality all of our hopes and fears <clears throat> if the Jesus that we have come to know and love from the Gospels up to this point. If that Jesus is not alive forever, we're lost. End of story. Goodbye. The end. But if he's alive, if he's alive, which the disciples were starting to sink in, are finally coming to see, actually, you know, he is alive. doesn't make any sense, but there he is. Then it means everything's going to be okay after all. Everything's going to be okay. We might not understand how everything's going to be okay or when everything's going to be okay, but here he is. Here he is, a man from the other side of death, a man returned who was remade in heaven. Here he is, here with us, just as if he actually wanted to be here with us. So they were glad to see him, just like he had told them they would be glad to see him, probably in that very same room just a couple nights before. Seemingly so long ago for all that had happened since then. But he had said in the upper room, You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I'll say, I'll say the night of sin has ended and all its nightmares are fading memories. Hallelujah. So what was it that brought them joy that first evening when the world was made new? It wasn't positive mental attitude. It wasn't just pleasant thoughts about abstract promises, spiritual truths. They were glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad when they saw the Lord, the risen Lord. All the worst thoughts and fears from that dread weekend were crowded out with the vision of him, the sight of him, the beholding of Jesus. We don't see him with these physical eyes. Not yet. We will someday, but not yet. But it's when we turn the eyes of our hearts to him by faith, even now, right now, anytime in this life, when we fix our minds on him, on who he is, on what he's done, on what he's promised to do, what he will do, 
that we can have real joy in places where otherwise we might be deflated or crushed or stunned, perplexed, and afraid when we turn our eyes and we see Jesus by faith in the scriptures. Ronnie Whitaker said that both the peace and the joy come from the presence of Jesus himself, the very presence of God on earth, God with us. That's where peace and joy come from. God himself came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus. God himself, there's no one more important, there's no one bigger, there's no one more central. And he came and he stood with the disciples in their fear and he assured them that it was really him that he really wanted to be here. And he showed them the marks of his love. That's what the marks of his crucifixion are, the marks of his love. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. See, look, I was pierced for your transgressions. I was pierced, I was crucified so that you would have real peace, so that you'd have peace with God that no one can take away from you, and now you have it. I want it for you, and I give it to you. Here it is. He isn't talking about the peace of an easy life or the peace of comfortable circumstances, the peace of no conflict in this world. He's talking about peace with God, which God himself wanted and planned and pursued and achieved in the gospel of Jesus Christ and granted, gave it to us, past tense. He gave them this peace in spite of the fact that they were still potentially in danger of their lives, right? The Jews are still out there. They're, they're their enemies. And he gives us this same peace in spite of the fact that this whole world is broken and dangerous to us. His peace doesn't necessarily change the danger. His peace changes the fear. Peace with God changes the fear. In fact, his peace comes to us at the cross of at the cost of his cross, his crucifixion, right? This of course it doesn't erase danger. It was the most dangerous moment for the Son of God to go and be crucified. Having peace with God might well mean our suffering similarly in this world. It doesn't erase the danger of living in this world. His peace means that instead of being terrified, instead of being terrified, that what happened to Jesus might also happen to us, we would see it as the greatest privilege that what happened to Jesus would also happen to us. It's the greatest privilege because he himself, Jesus Christ, alive again from the dead, alive forever, he himself is our joy, he's our peace, and we have him, and he stands among us. He stands with us. He has given himself for us. He's given himself to us. And um, he's not going to take that back. He's not going to take that gift back. He's with us. So he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So, super important passage 40 times in John's gospel, more than 40 times, I think, in John's gospel, Jesus says that he is sent by God the Father. That's him. That's who he is. That's his identity. 
That's his relationship. The Father sent him. And now this risen Lord Jesus sends his disciples in the same way. Even as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. This sending is always a main part of the resurrection accounts. Jesus dies. Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus comes to his disciples, assures them of his peace, and sends them, even as he's been sent. The Great Commission. Matthew's Gospel is probably the most famous one we all know. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here in John's Gospel, we can see when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, you can see the authority that's been given to Jesus. It's God's own authority. God's own authority, authority over God himself. Authority over the Holy Spirit of God, who's no less God than God the Father is. That's the authority that Jesus has received from his Father. Sometimes it's hard for us to remember that Jesus is God himself. Sometimes it's hard for us to remember that. But here we see him doing exactly what God does, the kind of thing God does, what God did way back at the beginning, way, way back in creation in Genesis chapter 2, breathing the breath of life into a new creation now. That's God's role. That's not anybody else's role but God, to give life, to give the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is God, but it's also marvelous to remember, at the same time, we're talking about a man. Jesus is a man who's been given this authority, a man with God's own spirit. And he can command him, and he can, he can make him go. Christ means anointed one. That's Jesus Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the one anointed by God's Spirit, and the promise was always that he would anoint his people with his own anointing, that he would baptize his people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That was the promise about the coming Christ, and this would mean our new life with God. So just as God had said with his prophet Ezekiel 37 that Berta read this morning, um, God had his prophet Ezekiel, who's the son of man, he, he had him not only speak to the dry bones, to the dead, but he had him speak to the breath, speak to the Spirit, speak to the Holy Spirit of God himself. Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, breathed out the Holy Spirit upon his people as his own breath. It came from him. This man, who's also God, but he's also a man, commanding the Holy Spirit. And this is, this this scene here in the upper room after his resurrection is probably a symbol that John's recorded for us. It may not be, it's not, it's not the same event. John isn't just describing another version of Pentecost, the true outpouring of the Spirit that came at Pentecost 40 days after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the disciples were gathered there and the Spirit came and rested on them like tongues of fire and they went out in all this boldness. That was where the real change happened. You see here with the disciples and the next couple things that happen with the disciples, this real change hasn't quite happened yet uh, with them. So it's a symbol. It's a symbol that John's recorded for us. It points forward to the Spirit coming at Pentecost when Jesus goes to heaven and sends him to the church. But the focus here, the focus here with this symbol, this sort of pre-enactment that Jesus is giving, the risen Lord Jesus, the focus is on the one who gives us the Holy Spirit 
It's Jesus. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit belongs to Christ. We know Christ. We know Him from the Scriptures. We know what He's like. The Spirit comes from Him. This Jesus has given the Holy Spirit to His people, to all His disciples, to all His brothers and sisters. That means relationship with God. That's what Jesus gives us, relationship with God. It also means that we're made God's own representatives in the world, just as Jesus himself is God's representative, sent by God to represent him in the world. That is a privilege that is beyond our comprehension. You spend the rest of your life meditating on the privilege of being sent, just as the Father sent Jesus Christ as, as God's own representatives. That's us. When Jesus gives his people the Holy Spirit, we're united to God. We have a relationship with God that will never, never end. His life is ours. Christ's relationship to the Father is ours. And his relationship to the world is ours. And his mission status is ours. Just as he was sent. That's what the word mission means. Uh, comes from that Latin word, missio, sent. Just as Jesus was sent by God on his mission of salvation, so he sends us on his own mission. It's not just our separate mission. It's what he's always been about. It's what he came to do. It's what he did while he was on earth. His own mission, he's sent us out. He's empowered us, and he's authorized us to speak on God's behalf through his own Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So spiritual mission is what this is about right here. Spiritual mission is a vicarious mission. It's actually Jesus' mission being carried out through us and in us. His own mission, he's made us participants, and he's the one who accomplishes it in the world through his people, through, through the disciples who have his Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about mission, we're still talking about relationship with God. That's what this whole thing's about. Peace with God, Jesus says. Peace be with you. And when we're talking about mission, we're talking about that same thing. Jesus puts it in those terms right here. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Sins aren't just some bad things that you think or bad things that you do that you feel guilty about in and of yourself, just sort of huddled in on yourself like, I'm all mixed up, I'm a bad person, I feel bad. That's not what sin is. Sins are personal violations of your relationship to God. There's a lot of ways in which we do that. Go read the Ten Commandments. Sins are your personal violation of your relationship with God. Salvation, then, it is not just a way to deal with your abstract sense of guilt. I'm a real bad person, but now I don't feel so bad. Salvation means the forgiveness of those sins. It means God forgives you. It means you have peace with God. The relational violation has been overcome through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of his son for you. You're forgiven. God forgives you. You have peace with him. And here Jesus says that he gives us such a special relationship to him through his Holy Spirit, such a close relationship with Jesus and with God through his Holy Spirit, that God's forgiveness of sins is ours to extend or withhold. We have the authority to do that. 
He's entrusted to us his own ministry of divine reconciliation, what he came into the world to do. So Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just some knockoff version ministry of reconciliation. It's his own ministry of reconciliation that he's placed in our hands. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is all about relationship. That's what mission is, spiritual mission. Christ's own mission in the world lived out through us is about reconciling people to God. That's the main thing. That's the only thing. Ronnie Whitaker says, this is a quote that's on the front of the bulletin, I think. Disciples are to bear witness to Jesus, not just by representing Jesus, but by actually being the presence of Jesus through the Spirit. In this way, they'll be the agents of the Spirit's confrontation of the world is a continuation of Jesus' own confrontation through the disciples' witness to Jesus by word and by the life and love of the community, the world will be forced to choose for or against Jesus, just as they were during Jesus' own ministry. Those who repent and believe in Jesus can be assured of forgiveness, and those who refuse to repent can be assured that their sins are not forgiven. Such is the consequence of rejecting the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. It's a big deal that the world, we'd interact with them just the same way Jesus was. When they're confronted with Jesus in the flesh, and they said either yes to Jesus or no to Jesus, what that meant for their relationship with God, that that comes through us now. That can sound daunting. That can sound intimidating. I don't want that kind of responsibility. It implies conflict. Because there's going to be people, we have the message of forgiveness, but there's going to be people who don't want that. They, they don't want to be reminded that they need God's forgiveness, that they need mercy. That's an affront to so many people to tell them good news. There's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness for you. They don't want to hear that. There'll be plenty of people who don't want to hear that, who, who hate us for reminding them of it. They reject the notion of God's forgiveness. They reject Jesus himself. That's, that's the real point. They're rejecting Jesus himself. That means conflict. It means conflict that remains between them and God. They can't be assured of the forgiveness of their sins. There's still this deep conflict, essentially conflict between people and God when they reject Jesus. <clears throat> and it means conflict that remains between them and us as we represent him in the world. That conflict spills over to those who are in Christ, to those who are able to participate in Christ's own life and mission. We have conflict with the world. God's enemies who don't receive the gospel, who don't trust Christ, who don't believe, God's enemies will remain his enemies, and they'll be our enemies on the most fundamental level, and there's no bridging that. You can connect with people on all all sorts of levels, but not that level. That's the most important level. And in that case... Incredibly, Jesus says, you go ahead and withhold forgiveness from them and it'll be withheld divinely. 
But for those, uh, I mean, this is daunting, but for those with the Holy Spirit, it's also a privilege. It's the greatest privilege. The privilege of being God's friends, being God's ambassadors, his representatives, his very presence in the world through the Holy Spirit who is with us. Even if that means remaining enemies of God's enemies. We can be strengthened knowing that this, this really only confirms and deepens our relationship with Jesus himself when his enemies are our enemies. When we're given the privilege of knowing what, what it's like for Jesus to face his enemies because we face the same ones, we know what it's like for him. And he shares with us the authority to, to declare his victory. His victory for his people. His victory over his enemies, whether people want to hear that or not. He gives us the privilege of declaring that. We take heart knowing that he has sent us on his own mission. We're sent in the same way that he was sent by God in the power of the Holy Spirit. The orders come from the very top. The resources are there. We're not sent out alone. Jesus, Jesus wasn't alone. The Father was with him always. We have God with us. Always. We're not alone. Just as Jesus was sent for the salvation of the world, we are sent out to bring joy and peace. That's what he's talking about. Joy and peace in your relationship with God and with one another. We're sent to bring that joy and peace wherever we go as we represent Jesus and his forgiveness and reconciliation and new life. And maybe, maybe that means you should think about being a pastor. You should think about being a foreign missionary. Maybe. But each and every disciple is sent just as Jesus himself was sent. Every single one of us. Citizens of heaven posted in this world as beacons of God's kingdom. This is what Christians are about. This is our spiritual mission that we've received from Jesus himself. Christ has come into our lives to stand with us. And he sends us and he goes with us as we carry the gospel of his forgiveness. He has peace with God. He shares it with us. So do we. He has peace with God and so do we. He suffered for his mission of love and so will we. What a privilege that what happened to Jesus would also happen to us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, the fear of pain and suffering and persecution in the world and conflict, um, the fear of danger can be overwhelming, can be debilitating and paralyzing. We pray that you would overcome all these fears. Even if you don't take away the danger and the persecution, we pray that these things would be overcome, the fear of it would be overcome in us as we come to see the great privilege of knowing that uh, what's true of Jesus is also true of us. What's happened to him will happen to us. The great privilege of the relationship that we have with you, coming to know Jesus, what he uh, has done for us, what he's like, who he really is, being able to relate to him more closely and more deeply, more joyfully. We pray that those uh, benefits outweigh all the costs or the perceived costs of living as your people in this world. <clears throat> we pray that your peace would extend uh, to everyone in this room, all of our friends and loved ones who don't yet know you, that peace with you, your forgiveness, reconciliation that's possible through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that that would be made known in the world because we know it <clears throat> and we talk about it. 
and we take it as we go on the same mission that you sent your son Jesus into the world to live and die for. We pray that you would be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.